What's up, you guys? It's your host, Anna. Welcome to this week's episode on Undereducated. Today, I am interviewing another of the incredible birth workers here in the Salt Lake City community. I am speaking with Leisha Nilsson. She is a somatics, fertility, and birth trauma resolution specialist, as well as a craniosacral therapist. She has so much to offer, and I bet you'll learn something that you've never heard before. So tune in, and let's get going. Okay, you guys, today I'm here with Leisha Nelson. She is going to walk us through somatics, some fertility, and kind of birth trauma. We're hoping to talk about a lot. We'll kind of see where our conversation takes us, but why don't you kind of give us a background of you and how you kind of ended in this work before we get into what you do now. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me oh, first of off. I'm really Thanks. excited to be here. I started out as an occupational therapist and kind of what led me there is I've been in this field since I was 20 when I started working at an outpatient rehab clinic Okay. and started working with people that had head injury and spinal cord injury and were trying to get back into community and everyday life. Okay. And that opened up a doorway for me to go to occupational therapy school. I graduated when I was 30, so funny enough, I was one of the quote-unquote old ones Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) when I finally figured out what I wanted to do with my life, and I got a job at the local hospital IMC and continued to do that work, and I worked on the acute floors and inpatient rehab, Okay. doing a lot of neuroscience, neurocare rehabilitation, Mm. like intense stuff yeah I was like that's a very intense population it is and it was a lot of hard work a lot of heavy lifting and I learned so much it was really that time in my life when I really started to understand the brain and the neuroscience of the brain Mm -hmm. and how the brain works and I also started to see people not get better have lots of trauma Mm -hmm. and by happenstance, I started training in craniosacral therapy, which okay. is... Which Please is a, explain that because yeah. I didn't know what that was until I actually took my second baby to craniosacral therapy, and it was mind-blowing and the most amazing experience of my life, but I had no idea it existed until someone told me about it. Yeah, it's such a profound thing, and a lot of people don't know about it, and there's kind of this... This undercurrent, at least when I started training, and I started training 12 years ago, that craniosacral therapy was quackery. Mm-hmm. Um, only crazy people do craniosacral yes. or believe in it. Yes. And I will say, and I educate my clients with this, the foundation of craniosacral therapy is that we have a the cerebral spinal fluid, which is the fluid of our brain and spinal cord moves throughout our brain and spinal cord. It's what protects our brain. It creates this really nice cushion for our brain. 
And as cranial sacral therapists, we train to feel that pulse rate of the cerebral spinal fluid. Just how you can feel a heart rate and a breath rate, mm. and you train to learn for wow. those things. That's so interesting. And so one school of thought is like you can't actually feel that pulse rate. That's crazy. So that's mm-hmm. one piece. And the second piece is that we as craniosacral therapists don't believe that the skull bones fully fuse. Okay. And that's complicated because we know when babies are born that they have multiple skull bones, and mm-hmm. that's how they're able to be birthed out of the vaginal canal mm-hmm. and have head-shaped mobility. And so, yes, those bones fuse. Some of those bones fuse. Mm-hmm. But we believe where like the major sutures of the skull bones are, that those are joints, hmm. meaning okay. there's a little bit of play and flexibility there. Yeah. And because of that, we can work with the different skull bones to affect what's underneath. Mm-hmm. And what's underneath is the cerebral spinal fluid, all the fascia, and all the connective tissue. So we work with the skull bones, I call them handles, mm-hmm. to what's inside the drawer. Okay. So even though that. my hands are on That's the- a really good, like, <laughs> object, or <laughs> visual, not object. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, though. I love that. So even though my hands are on the outside of the body, because I can't obviously touch the inside, by working with the outside, we're changing what's going on on the inside. Mm. And when we start to work with the fascia of the brain and the brain itself, we're starting to make really big changes on our nervous system. Mm. And coming from a neuroscience background, I'm like, of course this is true. Yes, you're probably like mind blown as you're figuring this out. You're like, whoa. Yeah, and the craniosacral journey was a slow journey at first. I went to my first class and I, as an OT, thought everyone was crazy. Yeah. I couldn't feel the pulse rate. Mm -hmm. I was in a room with mostly, I would say I was the only OT. I think think everyone else was a massage therapist. Okay. Who were used to touching and doing. Oh, yeah. Very hands-on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took my side. For some reason, I went to the second course, I think, because I wanted to learn how to work inside the mouth, and they teach yes. that in the second yes. class. And that's when I started to feel the pulse rate. Okay. And then I started to recognize the mind-body connection. Mm. And then I was like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm an OT. I'm science. I love it. Yeah. You're like, (laughs) this is not for me. I don't know if I can buy in. (laughs) And somehow I took the third plot. Like, I just kept getting nudges. I was going to say, you were just pulled toward it. I I love it. (laughs) And I was also still working at um, the inpatient neuro rehab floor. Okay. And I was starting to do stuff with my head injury clients, Mm -hmm. my clients that had spinal cord injuries. Yeah. And they were loving it. Amazing. They were having pain relief. Yeah. They were starting to have neurological changes. Mm. And so by happenstance, just because the way the world works, I ended up getting a job at the local children's hospital. Okay. Um, at Primary Children's, if you're local, and worked on their acute and inpatient rehab floor as well. And when I was getting hired, I told them that I did craniosacral. The boss knew what it was. She loved it. She go, went to amazing. a craniosacral therapist. And she said, amazing, but before you can work on kids, 
you need to have the training just for political and licensure mm-hmm. reasons. Mm-hmm. So I went and so got, back you go. <laughs> I went and got the uh, pregnancy and newborn and okay. the pediatrics trainings, and that just kind of opened all the doors for me. Yeah. At the time, I was really the only one in the area working on newborns. I started my own practice, mostly just to write off courses. Yeah. You're like, taking totally, so totally. You were like, I have to take so many classes to do this. Like, <laughs> And then my, and then people just started coming to bring their babies to me. Yeah. And I started seeing clients and I started building my practice so much so that I ended up stopping working at the hospital and stopping my OT job. That's amazing. And what a wild way to land there as you're like, I don't even know if I can buy in. And here you are a couple years later, like, I have so many clients, I'm quitting my job. Mm-hmm. Like, that's wild. <laughs> Super wild. And I, I think it's important to name during that time, um, I would see adults or babies. I would mm-hmm. work on anyone that was coming into my cranial sacral practice. Yeah. And I started to have people have emotional, what I call emotional releases on my table. Mm. So we would be doing physical things, but they would be starting to cry or they'd be starting to have flashbacks of trauma. Mm. And I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. You're like, okay, why are you crying? Yeah, they don't talk about this in school. (laughs) And so I started mentoring with one of the teachers at the Upledger Institute, which is who I took my cranial cycle training with. And she was amazing. She was the best mentor I've ever had. Mm. She was in charge of, or she taught the advanced cranial cycle classes and the brain classes. Okay. And at the time, she was helping Peter Levine develop his somatic experiencing program. Amazing. And she had years of study in Zen and Buddhism. And so I somehow, again, universe... <laughs> is if we listen, will tell us what to do. Um, I studied with her and really started to understand trauma and trauma resolution Mm -hmm. and how trauma is stored in the body. Mm -hmm. And again, this was 10 years ago. Yeah. When that really wasn't mainstream. Yeah. Or talked about. And I don't mean to bring this up in like a bad way but trauma is a little bit of like a buzzword I you, we like I was just telling you I listened to your other podcast on she births you talked about that a little bit and I'm like it resonated with me it's such a hard thing because it has become so much of a buzzword in a way that sometimes I think it's hard to like really pinpoint the actual trauma if that makes sense mm-hmm. um whereas 10 years ago it wasn't even being talked about like we've come from a to z so fast so that fast. i imagine your field is kind of kind of tricky honestly <laughs> it is a little tricky and wh- what i see <clears throat> excuse me is this almost like well i can't do this because i have trauma mm-hmm. or well, I'm acting this way because I have trauma. So it can almost become an excuse. Mm, mm-hmm. And I don't like it in that way. Yeah. And I talk about it and I try to use the word trauma resolution. So my goal and my mindset is we have probably all experienced trauma 
in our lives. Mm. Every single one of us. Yes. To some degree. And how can we work with it for resolution purposes so that we can live the life that we want to live? Mm. Whatever that life is. Yes. Whatever anyone wants to do. If there's trauma that's stopping you from, which trauma does, stops you from creating relationships, Mm -hmm. living the life you want to live, how can we resolve that so that you can have relationships and live the life you want to live? Absolutely. Whatever the trauma is. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I think that's such a beautiful way of saying it is, and and like such an open-ended way of opening the door to any kind of client of like... Your trauma could be literally anything, anything under the sun, mm-hmm. whatever you deem trauma, and that's okay. You're going to work with them to overcome and resolve that so that they can move forward in the way they hope to, yeah. and that's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, I was actually thinking about this this morning because my trauma, and this happens a lot in the birth world as well, wasn't like this big event. It yes. was a teenage girl growing up without a lot of support Mm. but on the outside I had everything I had a home um I mostly had food and I had a dad that like and my mom like both parents I knew loved me on Mm. some you know on like a level and that support was there and I had neighbors like loving neighbors in a community that if something happened we you know like if my yes, house you had each other yes yeah and there was a lot of neglect mm-hmm. in other areas mm-hmm. and I was sitting on an airplane in 2017 reading a book about trauma resolution and just trauma in general and it was the first time someone had talked about neglect mm. and about what didn't happen and how that can actually cause more trauma mm on a on a larger scale and I I want to speak to this on this podcast specifically because a lot of times with birth trauma it's what didn't happen yes during the birth that you needed yes and people aren't understanding like why why do I feel so depressed anxious moody like why is so much happening um, because my birth was fine. My baby was fine. Thank Everything you. was fine. Yes, I'm literally... I, you posted something on your Instagram recently with a statistic, and I was blown away. Oh, yeah. One in three women experience birth trauma, and one in five mothers have a perinatal mood disorder or anxiety post-birth, mm-hmm. and yet nobody's drawing the connection of, oh, <laughs> you probably had something happen during birth that is dysregulating you, and causing you to feel these emotions and things after birth. But here we are, every mother has postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression and all the things, and that's that. (laughs) End of conversation. (laughs) Yeah, that's that. And and I try to be really careful with this too. It's like, well, just go reach out for help. Mm -hmm. Just go get help. Just go ask your... And I'm like, "Who, who are we asking? I know. Like, there isn't a neighbor, if we're lucky, we have a good girlfriend that isn't dealing with her own stuff. <laughs> True. Truly, you. though. <laughs> truly. And and I loved what you said, too, that I think, and this is my own opinion, especially when it comes to birth trauma, 
something that's traumatic for someone could literally not even phase me. Mm-hmm. But something that causes me like to stir over it for weeks and weeks and weeks could have been something that they didn't even notice. Exactly. You know what I mean? And so blanketing the statement of like, oh, you had birth trauma. It's kind of hard because genuinely everyone's perception of their birth trauma is different. And it doesn't have to be some like you had a preterm delivery and postpartum hemorrhage and you came close to death and couldn't see your baby for two weeks. Like, yes, traumatic. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also getting an epidural at a nine when you hope to go unmedicated. That can be a trauma for you because you spent all this emotional time, you know, penting up all this energy into having an unmedicated birth. Didn't have an unmedicated birth. You know what I mean? Things like that. Yes. That may not be viewed as traumatic because healthy mom, healthy baby. Yeah. 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 100%. Which kind of goes back to what you were saying about trauma. It's so hard to define Mm -hmm. what is traumatic and what isn't. And I refer to Gaber Mate's quote a lot. And I love, love, love that a physician is talking about these things Mm -hmm. because for whatever reason, people will listen if a physician says it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Little credentials behind them, I guess. <laughs> it really helps people be like, oh, okay. Yeah. And so he's talking about trauma. And in his new book, Myth of Normal, he spends a large portion of his book talking about birth and time mm. in utero. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah, I'm like, I'll link it below, honestly. I need yeah. to read. Super good. Anyway, he talks a lot about trauma isn't the event it's Mm -hmm. not what happened to you because again anything can happen to anyone yes what makes it traumatic is how your nervous system responds to it and what's going on in your internal states Mm. so a mom could have an epidural at nine centimeters and be okay with that Mm-hmm. Her nervous system is regulated. She knows, like, this is what I need or this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so she moves through that process and it's fine. The other mom who, in that moment, her nervous system becomes completely dysregulated and it might be bringing up, which it likely 99% is, bringing up a situation of the past. Mm-hmm. It's triggering a previous nervous system state And so her body actually neurons that fire together wire together. Hmm. So she goes into that automatic nervous system response that's actually just learned. And Hmm. she doesn't recognize it. She doesn't know it. It puts her nervous system into a different state of dysregulation. Hmm. She gets the epidural. She has the baby. And now she's like depressed or anxious or having a difficult time bonding after or just spinning I call it spinning Mm -hmm. and the mind is just beating yourself up like self-shame spiral yes for the epidural it's Mm -hmm. like so two same scenarios very different outcomes Mm. based on the woman or or what's going on and how interesting to understand that you might have a response that was already like a learned response Mm -hmm. just based on, you know, something you're experiencing in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think, obviously I want to kind of get into this, but understanding how your body responds to things could help you maybe prevent trauma. Yeah. 
Can I say that? <laughs> I know. I actually put out a newsletter yesterday, and and then this morning I was thinking, oh, should I have should I have said that? Should I have put that out there? It's fine. I'm sure it was perfectly well said <laughs> because it's exactly what you said. It's that um, preventing trauma, mm. and I'm really careful to say this because. Um, a lot of times, so especially in the birth world, it's out of our control, which actually is a sign of one of the elements of trauma. Yes. Um, but there are things you can do in preconception and pregnancy to prepare your nervous system mm-hmm. to understand what are my learned responses, what are what are my nervous system states, how do I respond in different situations. Yes. So that when I am in the birth room, there's more ability to to kind of I don't want to say control because so much of birthing is releasing control, but there's a an understanding of what your body's doing in these different states. And maybe it's as simple of saying, learning to say no. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I say this all the time on here that like half of taking control, and again, I say that just as you do with a grain of salt, but taking control of your birth room is knowing your options or being educated on the things that may happen during your birth mm-hmm. and being informed that you can say no or you can say yes or you can say let's look at something in between like you have a voice when it comes to your birth and your birth room as much as it seems like you're not in control mm-hmm. because like you said your body is ultimately the one birthing but the things that you do have a say in you do have a say in exactly <laughs> and doing the nervous system prep on top of the education, I can only imagine, would just equip you with a skill to be able to say, you know, when you are presented with the doctor who comes in in a very authoritarian way and makes it seem like you do not have a choice to know how you respond to that authority. Exactly. And instead of getting completely dysregulated and panicking and agreeing, if that's not truly what you want, just because that's a learned response that, oh, I have to do what somebody told me to do, mm-hmm. which I think that's a very normal learned response that many of us probably have. Mm-hmm. I don't feel crazy in saying that. Um, but to put the work in during pregnancy to prepare for those situations, I don't think it's crazy to say either would decrease the likelihood of you experiencing a birth trauma. Exactly. Exactly. And it's this, it's this space of... Yeah, giving yourself more by understanding your nervous system and your own nervous system states and how you're wired Mm -hmm. and your previous conditioning and experiences because that's really what our nervous system is Mm -hmm. doing. Our nervous system wants to be efficient. Yeah. So it is efficient and it literally just says, oh, you're experiencing this thing? This is this is how you responded the last time you experienced this thing. We're just going to respond that way again. Mm-hmm. And so it's learning how to understand that and understand, okay, wait a minute. I'm in a birth room. I'm not six years old experiencing this authoritative <laughs> figure. Yes. I get to say no. Or I get to say, um, because you're in labor and you're, <laughs> you're in labor, you're like, hey, doula, 
Yes, you go talk for me, please. Tell me more. I don't understand what's happening. What's actually happening? Or husband, if if you're not having a doula or birthing partner. Whoever your liaison is, if you're not in the position, just be like, hey, this is where I need help. Mm -hmm. And asking for help is another piece that's like, we might not have learned or have been conditioned. We can ask for help. Yes, especially in a situation where maybe you have grown up where you feel like you don't have the support and you had to grow up fast and you had to be the adult in the room. And it's like, how do I ask for help? You yeah. know, they don't even, you don't even know. Don't even know. And the, another really common one is um, caring for everyone else. Mm-hmm. If you're the caregiver, you grow up as the caregiver for your family or monitoring everyone else's emotions and like keeping the peace and making sure everyone else is okay, but mm-hmm. you're not okay. Mm-hmm. And then you go into the birth room and all of a sudden you're trying to manage the nurse and your partner and your, and, you know, everyone mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait a minute. I'm the one that gets yeah. <laughs> you're like, like care this is about now. you. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine that happens, honestly. Let's talk a little bit about how you help people discover their nervous system wiring. Like, how are you helping people tune into that? So much of our nervous system is what's called implicit memory. We have the two different types of memory, implicit and explicit. And implicit are the things we just don't think about. I came over today and I drove in the car and I'm not thinking about driving in the car. Mm -hmm. Again, our nervous system is so efficient. And so once we learn something, which is the explicit memory, and we tell ourselves, okay, I'm going to concentrate, I'm going to learn this thing. And then once we learn it, it goes just away. We don't even have to think about it. It mm-hmm. just happens. Mm-hmm. That's also happening for our subconscious pieces as well. So our brain is taking in so much information every day. And our sensory system is very much tied to how we move through the world. That's actually one of the missing pieces I'm starting to see in trauma research, but as an OT, I'm like, wait a minute, the sensory system. (laughs) So we're taking in information through our touch, through our eyes, through our hearing, through our smell all day long. Mm. And the stuff that's quote unquote important, our brain will pay attention to and and bring into the foreground. Mm. The stuff that's quote unquote not important, it doesn't mean that it's not coming in. It's just going in into the subconscious part of our brain. And if there's a threat or if the brain does think like, wait a minute, pay attention to that, Mm -hmm. it stays in our memory. And that's where the body comes in. And that's the piece that when we start to work with somatics is that we start to understand there's a whole body piece to how we're moving through the world subconsciously and consciously and we just might not know it and so when we start to work with our nervous system with all these different mechanisms and the implicit and the explicit memory we start to understand okay we have an implicit memory we have a whole piece of subconscious memory happening Mm. in our bodies and it's playing a role into how our nervous system is responding. And then our ability to feel that is called interoception. And this all happens in the brain. Like 
the part of your brain that understands interoception or interprets interoception can actually grow. Oh, interesting. So the more you start to pay attention to your body mm-hmm. and the sensations of your body and the subcon like what's going on when mm-hmm. I'm subconsciously thinking or not thinking about things. Yes. When we start to use that part of our brain, that part of our brain increases. So I used to be very unaware of my body. Mm-hmm. I shut it down, mm-hmm. did not pay attention. And because I've worked with what is my sen- what are my senses doing? What is my body doing? Mm-hmm. That part of my brain has become more online. Yeah. And so now I'm very much aware of what my body is doing. Mm-hmm. So when I work with people with their nervous system states, it's one of the first places we start is like, what's going on? Can you feel your internal world? Mm-hmm. Or have you shut it off so completely that you have no idea what's going on in there? Yeah. I'll tell you the majority of the population really has no idea. No idea. Yeah, I'm like, I would assume has no idea. (laughs) (laughs) So, what we really need to start getting and understanding of like, okay, what's, what are my senses? What's going on in my body? Mm -hmm. Anywhere in my body. Yeah. Digestion, stomach, heart breath those are good gateways in and then we can start to go deeper of okay what are what are the senses of my body and when we start to pay attention to that we can start to recognize okay I'm really anxious I'm hyper mm-hmm. hyper vigilance I'm spinning I'm breathing fast and we start to understand okay when I'm Having these sensory experiences, I'm probably more anxious and or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Or when I go more into fawning, which we can talk yeah, about. Yeah, you should define you that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm like, most people probably have no idea. <laughs> fawning is a way of keeping the peace. I consider fawning, you, someone will tend to fawn before they go into the hypervigilant state or the active mm-hmm. state. Or the more disassociative state. Okay. The free So state. kind of like a place of your body being like, which way do I want to go? Kind yeah. of. It's like. <laughs> trying to regulate yeah. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to try and regulate by keeping the peace. Mm-hmm. So fawning is you might go against what you really want or what you really think, or you might like not say the thing you really want to say mm-hmm. in order to keep the peace. Okay. And. And you end up doing what the other person wants you to do. Okay. To keep peace. Gotcha. And it's a protective mechanism. It's usually worked for us as children mm-hmm. or if we're in any sort of abusive relationship. Yeah. It's the thing you do to keep the trauma from happening. Mm. And then if that doesn't work, then we might then have a hyperactive response. Okay. Or we can go into the the freeze, collapse, disassociative. And so how do we start to know when our body's doing that? Mm -hmm. And how my body does that, there'll be some similarities, but it's going to be a little, like, different for your body. Yeah. And you might go into that state sooner or later than I go into that state. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's how we start to work with it. It was a really long answer to your question, but I think it's important for listeners to understand this body, 
connection mm-hmm. and how much of a role that plays, like just our senses yeah. play into starting to understand our nervous systems yeah. and where we are. Yes. And it got me thinking, and this could be totally off track, but just like in recognizing your senses, I started thinking about like when I have certain memories that come into my mind, it's like, oh, I like I recognize that smell. Mm-hmm. That is a smell that reminds me of this. But do I remember anything else about that situation? No. Mm-hmm. It's probably just because the smell was most important to my brain in that situation or something like that. You know what I mean? Where I think if we were really clued in to our bodies, as you're saying is beneficial to be so, we'd start to learn and notice things about our atmosphere and about how we're responding and genuinely become more in tune with our bodies. And it sounds a little overwhelming, I'll be honest, where it's like, oh no, am I really out of tune with my body? How do I become in tune with my body? Like, Because there are so many senses and there's so many things that you could be paying attention to. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, I walk into this room. What am I seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, you know, touching what's affecting me? That can seem like a lot. But at the same time, I assume you probably have a way to help people slowly begin to understand. So if you were talking to maybe a first-time client who's trying to learn to pay attention more and to understand that inner what's the word dialogue (laughs) yes yeah the inner dialogue exactly the inner dialogue that's happening what would you say they should try and like find first if that makes sense where to start yeah and I think so the reason why so much of this is important is not to walk into a room and be overwhelmed and to name this is what's happening with neurodivergence Mm -hmm. and sensory processing disorder yeah is they don't their brains don't have the ability like they do walk in a room and they're like oh my gosh I see smell here and feel everything yes and they they don't know how to respond to that. So, Absolutely. So that is happening, and that's not the place where we want to go. Yeah. Like I'm just like I just imagine my brain going a million miles an hour all of a sudden and being like, whoa, I can't do anything. Yeah. Where we want to go is to start to recognize when. So let's use your smell example. You say that smell is a traumatic smell, okay. and it yes. does bring back yes. a memory. Okay. Maybe the hospital. Mm-hmm. And anytime you smell something that starts to smell like the hospital and you had a really bad experience there, mm-hmm. you start to spin out of control mm-hmm. or shut down and freeze. What we want to do with nervous system work is recognize, okay, that was then. Mm-hmm. That's not what's happening right now. I'm actually not at the hospital right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not experiencing a doctor yelling at me or whatever the experience was yeah so we're starting to uncouple that experience that is in that implicit memory Mm. so if you were in the hospital room and you're having a trauma your brain is doing that implicit thing of like this smell means trauma Mm -hmm. so then later that's what we're trying to understand and feel with our bodies. Mm. And so, I mean, I'm human. I <laughs> like, I have my own stuff and I'll go on a walk and I, I have a tendency to be hyperactive versus mm-hmm. hypo mm-hmm. in the disassociation. And 
I'll start to think about something and I'll start to get wired, like wild, wild and crazy mm-hmm. and spin. Mm-hmm. And then I catch myself mm-hmm. and go, oh my gosh, I'm in a spin. That is not what is happening right now. Okay, what's actually happening right You're now? like, I'm actually on a peaceful walk. <laughs> totally. And that's what we yeah. want to start doing. Okay, is, I love that. I'm actually on a peaceful walk. The sun's shining. I hear birds. Like, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And it's called orienting. We orient yeah. our body and our eyes and our feet. Like, oh, I'm actually on a walk. Yes. Yes. No, but seriously, and that seems so much more manageable just to like center yourself where you actually are Mm -hmm. rather than allowing your body to jump somewhere where you may have had a past trauma or something like that. I think that seems like something anybody could do. And really a very easy beginning spot to start queuing into these things that will just alleviate a lot of this dysregulation that I feel like a lot of us struggle with. Yes. And another really good one is, uh, I love the saying, I don't know who said this, name it to tame it. Mm, I love that. So I'm on this walk and my mind is spinning. I can't, you know, so first, the first, first place is awareness. And that's, mm. that's the hardest sometimes. But once we catch it, it's like, okay, I'm on, I'm spinning out of control. What am I going to name this? Oh, I'm going to name this anxiety. Mm. This is and I'm going to notice, like, okay, when I have anxiety, my mind likes to spin and make stories. So I'm starting to create awareness between my different patterns. And and then I can do the orienting and the coming back to the present moment. Mm-hmm. But naming it can be really helpful to start yeah. to recognize patterns. Or even naming it can be as simple it can be really calming to our nervous system and name it can be like, Oh, I'm feeling, I'm actually feeling really sad right now. Mm-hmm. My mind's spinning out of control, but it's spinning out of control because I'm recalling this really sad experience mm-hmm. and I'm just going to name sadness and that's okay. It's an emotion. Mm-hmm. Emotions come and go. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to reorient myself to the present moment. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think it's a little bit of just like, acknowledging what we're feeling and saying this is real and it's okay that I'm feeling this and then moving forward Mm -hmm. you know and allowing yourself the grace to say it's okay that I felt that and move forward is something that's hard Mm -hmm. you know and probably something we all need to work on and and kind of a learned behavior in a lot of ways where you know you feel something and then you feel ashamed for feeling that way and you shut it down really fast without acknowledging it and then five minutes later you're spinning again Because you just shut it down without really acknowledging what you felt. And then here you are in this cyclical, horrible thing where your mind is just never at peace. Yeah. And so to be able to name it and tame it in a way, say, you know, it's okay. This isn't some crazy, wild, horrible thing for me for feeling or thinking this way. And then being able to move forward. Like how powerful. Yeah, you said that. You reframed that so well. And most of us, I mean, this might be an assumption, but I see this a lot in my clients. As children, our emotional states weren't okay. Mm-hmm. Whatever, unless it was happiness or love. Yeah. So if there was sadness, we were told not to be sad or like, it's okay, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Or if we were angry, it's like the scale of emotions as a child weren't okay. 
So here we are as adults having emotions and we're going into those already pre those nervous system wiring. Mm -hmm. We were wired of like, oh, I can't have that. I can't be sad. I can't have grief. No, Alicia, like, I'm like, this was me. Like, (laughs) I was the kid that cried all the time. And like, in no way am I speaking bad of my parents or my family because like, If I was my parent, I probably would have lost my mind a couple times, too, because I literally cried over everything, and I have no idea why, obviously. I was just a very emotional kid, and now, in my adulthood, now I'm past it, but it took me a long time when I first, like, started dating my husband, and when we got married, like, if I wanted to cry, like, it was very, like... I was so ashamed. Like, I was like, I can't cry. Like, why am I crying? Like, this is so dumb. Why am I crying? Like, Mm -hmm. so mortifying to me that my initial response to something really silly to a lot of people was to cry. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it it took a lot of time of me, like, really sitting with the fact that that was my response and working through why that was my response and having it be okay for that to be my response, Mm -hmm. you know? And... (laughs) You know, I just laugh because I do think it's true. I think without even meaning to, parents just respond to children really quickly. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm guilty. Mm-hmm. When my child is yelling and screaming for the 70th time at the grocery <laughs> store, and I'm like, bro, you have stop. got to stop. Like, this is not something we cry over. This is silly. You know, and then it's like, oh, that actually is completely disregarding what they're feeling. And making them feel like what they're feeling is wrong or, I don't know, just, you know what I mean? That's not what they should be feeling, Mm -hmm. which then associates something in their brain with, oh, when I feel this, it's something that makes my mom mad or like, this is a bad thing to be feeling. And then later on when they feel like they need to cry, they're embarrassed to cry. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what? (laughs) I mean, our brains are amazing for creating so many connections. Like, that's wild. But it's also amazing to acknowledge that these negative connections form so quickly and so easily. So being in tune and controlling your responses as a parent Mm -hmm. can have so much value in how your child develops their emotional intelligence. 100%. And like, nobody's perfect. Mm -mm. I am the last person to even like talk on that, honestly, because I'm like, wow, I need to work on that, even just saying that out loud. But it's something that I think is coming more to the forefront in the parenting world now, like with more gentle parenting being a thing, you know? And I think it'll be interesting to see how kind of the next couple generations come through and see, you know, if they are more in tune with their bodies or if they're suffering more trauma or, you know, yeah, just to see. I really, I think about that all the time with... You'll be in business forever. (laughs) (laughs) With trauma awareness, like you said, being such a thing and just people being more aware, it does make me curious what the generations being born now, Mm -hmm. what that's going to play a role into. And I'm seeing a shift everywhere. Like my cute 50-year-old brother who's turning 50 this year, I never, ever thought he would do any sort of emotional processing or or mm-hmm. dive into these things and he's like I'm turning 50 this year and I'm I'm starting to work on my inner child 
and acknowledge that I have an inner child that needs to be healed. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, like, oh, yay. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I'm like, I'm here. How can I help you? You guys are like, please, <laughs> anything. <laughs> I love that, though. And, like, to that point, you can always begin that journey of saying, look, there's something that could probably be healed within me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a big traumatic event that leads you to see someone like you. You know what I mean? It could literally be just a day of self-reflection and realizing like, hey, there's actually probably something that I could be better at or be better at understanding about my body. Mm-hmm. And there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Getting more in tune to, to the body. And, mm-hmm. and if there was a big trauma, that's stored in the body. Yeah. Yes. Which let's talk a little bit about, we haven't really talked about this yet. You do a lot of massage is kind of the wrong word but hands-on release a little bit can you explain what that looks like and what you're doing with it so there's you know explain it (laughs) yeah sure so most of my hands-on stuff is with newborns Um, and I love that you took your your child I know um you know if we can as body workers massage therapists cranial psychotherapists start young Start in infancy, start after the C-section or the vaginal birth. If I think a lot about how babies are in utero, what side they lay on a lot can affect. Mm -hmm. If they were in the pelvis a long time, it can affect head shape. So babies release things very quickly. And so if there is tight muscle, there are tight muscles, tight fascia, if their nervous system gets dysregulated because of Pitocin, because mm-hmm. they were induced and weren't ready to come out yet, all of these things, if the birth was really long, all of these can create nervous system dysregulation for a baby, just like how I was talking about for us. Mm-hmm. And so the younger we start, I mean, babies are, I refer to them as sentient beings because they are like little magical creatures that just truly though <laughs> they really are and they will often release um, whether it's tension or fascia and that helps regulate the nervous system mm-hmm. I work very energetically to being that when I meet a baby I consider the baby also the barometers if a baby's dysregulated and there's a lot going on, then it's telling me a story of either what happened in the birth room or what's happening at home with the family. Mm-hmm. Because babies are sentient beings and their nervous systems wouldn't be dysregulated massively if there wasn't something happening in the birth room or at home. Mm-hmm. So they're my barometer. So if a baby walks in and they're, I'm looking at so many layers the birth, the conception, preconception, um, even something like, and there's no judgment here when I talk about these things, if there was a question to abort the baby, Mm -hmm. because all of those chemicals and stress and questioning from mom is going into baby and from dad. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm taking all of this into how baby developed in utero, Mm -hmm. What was mom's stress level? What was what was going on at the time baby was born? What was going on in the birth room? So I do hands-on work taking all of those layers into context. 
and so... <laughs> I'm just I'm just seriously sitting here reflecting, Misha, because not to turn this on me for a sec, but with my second baby, the one that I took to craniosacral therapy during his pregnancy, I was working and I was working in a very stressful environment in labor and delivery. And there was a point in my pregnancy where I had to stop working because I had not gained enough weight because mm-hmm. I was so stressed. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of things just happening in our life at the time where my stress levels were very, very high. And then when he was born, like he had stomach issues, like he had colic and he was really, really tight on one side. He had almost torticollis mm-hmm. and it was wild to see my, this, the therapist that I took him to did a lot of in the mouth massage and truly like his colic <laughs> went away. <laughs> his goopy eyes went away. Like just the things that I don't even know. It was mind blowing to see all the little things that connected mm-hmm. and to see how the, the therapy really helped so much. <laughs> and I'm like, it's just wild to, to think too that what happens in utero and in birth really does affect them on the outside, you know? And I'm the first one to tell you, like, I genuinely think he had an irritable stomach because I was so stressed during pregnancy. That Mm -hmm. seems really silly, but I'm Mm -hmm. like, I guarantee it was just like increased stress levels that really kind of threw him off from the beginning. Now he's absolutely fine. But it it was in that beginning times that I was just like, oh my gosh, all these things. It matters. It It, matters. (laughs) Thank you for naming that. And one of my teachers from the Uplander Institute, the woman that teaches the pregnancy and newborn classes, she always said babies look to mom as a blueprint. Mm -hmm. So this kind of, that kind of goes beyond like what's happening in the quote unquote science. But she always says, you know, your baby's developing, it's in your womb. And it's like, Oh, that's how your stomach looks. I'll make my stomach look like that. Yes. Like, oh, that's how your brain does this. I'll make my brain do this. So there's kind of some DNA epigenetic stuff there. But I do think that is really true because when I start asking questions, I have a really thorough intake. Mm -hmm. It's probably too thorough. (laughs) I bet it's amazing. (laughs) I see patterns. Yeah. Of what's going on with baby is the same that's going on with mom or dad. Mm-hmm. Because baby is looking, what's happening, this is how I'm going to develop. And then, of course, the stress the stress hormones. And yes. There's a really beautiful movie. It's hard to get access to, but it's called In Utero. Okay. And it, ca- it. it came out in 2016, and it talks about all the research of this stuff. And I wow. wish... This movie was like on Netflix and anyone could watch it. Yeah. No, seriously. I'm like, how do we find it? <laughs> I think in 2016 you could uh, watch it pretty easily, but I had a friend have an access pass that I could watch. Okay. I had two weeks to watch it. And, yeah. Um, it does go into all of this research around how much the correlation between epigenetics babies in utero, mm. parents, and this whole this whole thing from a science-based perspective and research. Oh, interesting. I'm sure that's so interesting. So 
that's what I'm doing with babies and with adults. Um, I've actually stopped quote unquote seeing any adults. Mm-hmm. Close. Yeah, you my- do most of your stuff virtually, maybe. I do. I I will see pretty much anyone virtually with any somatic trauma mm-hmm. resolution nervous system yeah. stuff. If it's hands on in my office, I will only see pregnancy, conception, and postpartum. Okay. okay. So. People, obviously, that are local that want to work on preconception through postpartum, Mm -hmm. I will do hands-on. It's less hands-on than the baby will get because the baby, Mm -hmm. I'm working with them the entire time. Yeah. With adults, because I am bringing in some somatic processing, it's a lot less touch. Mm -hmm. And it it just kind of depends. I had a client, for example, this week, lots of... Um, IUIs all failed. Mm. She's in the process of IVF. Um, lots going on with trauma, and we did a little bit of some somatic processing and trauma resolution. Her body got what I'm going to call tired. Mm-hmm. I could tell she got to a point where if we went further, she would go into disassociation. Like, mm-hmm. It wouldn't be wholesome to her nervous system to continue. And we still had 20-ish minutes, so we finished with some gentle cranial sacral to kind of keep her in mm. her body and okay. and work on some stress relief. Yeah, I love that. And I think just in anyone listening who, you know, may be looking to work with someone like you to know and hear that you're addressing each client where they're at rather than just like a cut and dry, this is what I do with everyone. Yeah. I think that's really beneficial to know before you meet with a practitioner, honestly. Because you don't know what you're going to get, but to have insight into how great you are. <laughs> I'm like, look her up, you guys. <laughs> Thank you. Everyone should go. <laughs> but honestly, to kind of come full circle. Um, oh my gosh, I literally just lost my train of thought. We were talking about, um, oh, just kind of preconception work and on into how everything really does connect, like the Inuit Row movie, how... You know, everything I feel like does connect. Mm -hmm. And so when you're working with someone preconception, are you following them all the way through postpartum usually? It depends. Ideally, I would love that. Yeah, yeah. Honestly. Most people find me while they're pregnant. Okay. And honestly, most people are like, I'm fine. I don't need any work. Mm -hmm. And then they come to me after and they're like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> like my birth was so traumatic. <laughs> like I had no idea. Um, but I do have a couple clients that I do see preconception and I have a couple right now virtually and in my mind I'm like, okay, so when you're pregnant, make sure you call me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Which I'm actually kind of curious. What are you working on someone with like preconception or like fertility? What are you kind of doing with them? I like to say, you know, if you've had years of trying to conceive an infertility, mm-hmm. um, yes, we can do some work together, but it's probably going to be around more nervous system regulation, working through the poss- like just the heartache mm-hmm. of yes, infertility. Yes, the emotional toll that that takes on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I definitely am like, oh, I guarantee you'll be pregnant if you've had years of infertility, you know. Yes. Um, however, I like to focus on fertility, people mm-hmm. that have 
are newly trying to get pregnant and I work with a lot of moms that are had one baby and they're like oh, I don't know if I want to do that again mm -hmm. so we work through some stuff the second time and usually they get pregnant right away I love it <laughs> um, I've had people come to me that are first time pregnancy of like I don't know if I want to have a baby I think I do mm -hmm. and processing those emotions yeah. usually they get pregnant right away once Amazing. they agree yeah um, but for preconception, we are really working on the concept of if your body is storing trauma and you are a blueprint for your baby, then if we can work through those pieces prior, your baby gets to come into what I call a clean slate. Mm these preconceived stress and belief and conditioning patterns or or trauma especially if there was a sexual trauma yeah. um, a sexual violation of any kind the baby is an imprinting that into their system mm -hmm. i have a wild story about that if you want yes please share are you kidding <laughs> this is me personally <laughs> i share this all the time because when i was going through my own healing specifically to my womb and mm. what my womb specifically stores and has stored I was doing a somatic process with myself one day and I just heard this voice and I it wasn't my voice but I heard this voice that was like birth is so hard and traumatic mm. and I was like who's just said that <laughs> you're like excuse me <laughs> and um and because I haven't had children, I was like, this isn't me. Yeah. This isn't my story. Yeah. Because this isn't my experience. And yes. so I sat with that for a minute and I just said, okay, if this is a belief in my body, if this is something my body is telling me, who's telling me this story? And I asked that question, whose story is this? Yes. And immediately I was like, oh, this is my grandma's story. This is my grandma's voice. And at this point she had passed on. And I, I literally just got the chills, Lucia. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. And I reflected on my mom's births. Mm -hmm. All four of us were C-sections for my mom. Mm -hmm. I reflected on my aunt's births. Um, she also has four children. The first two, I think, were very traumatic. Okay. I reflected on my sister's birth. Uh, she was in labor for like 48 hours or something. Yes. Um, and I was like, okay, this, this is a pattern. And I've since found out my uncle was born breach. He says breach and backwards, but he's not sure. <laughs> he's hilarious. That's amazing. Um, after a really long, difficult labor. Oh so gosh. if he was born breach. Yes. I'm like, well, of course, birth. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> dramatic. <laughs> So all of that just being stored mm -hmm. in my body, mm -hmm. and it wasn't even mine. Yeah, wasn't even my story. Which I think that is so real. I think the narrative around birth is that birth is scary and traumatic, mm -hmm. and and I hear that from friends who have no children mm -hmm. that they're so scared to give birth, mm -hmm. or they're so scared to be pregnant, or they're so scared of this and that, and I'm just like. You've never even experienced that. Yeah. Why are you feeling that way? You know what I mean? But that's a very real thing. 
Well, and I think about when our grandmas were giving birth and a little bit before my grandma, that's when they used Twilight. Mm-hmm. So the woman Which wouldn't I even would say explain that because I bet most people don't know what Twilight is. So they would essentially knock you out mm-hmm. for your birth. Yeah. And so your body would go through the motions, but you would have, I almost want to call it a date rape drug. Honestly, kind of. Like sedating you enough that you don't know what's happening, but you're not asleep. And you're not remembering what's happening. you're not remembering anything. So you wake up and you don't remember your birth, but something's happened to your body. And think Mm -hmm. about the nervous system in the Mm -hmm. body and the imprints. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you have this baby, but you were drugged in order to have your baby. And I think about that generation and the amount of disconnection. Mm-hmm. that was happening during birth yes. because it was told to these women, well, we have to drug you because otherwise you won't survive. You'll have so much pain and this is the only way to survive mm-hmm. birth. Mm-hmm. It's the only way to survive birth. So that gets imprinted into our system. And now there's the fact that we were in our grandma's wombs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because all of our mom's eggs were fully developed when she was in utero with our grandmas and we were one of those eggs. Yes. So then you... Wait, kind of crazy, but true. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. So then it's like, so maybe you're a product of Twilight yourself or other crazy birth practices that have been happening. which were just wild and have been happening. (laughs) And now everyone's scared of birth and everyone thinks birth needs intervention. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, that's just the mindset in our society today. And so much of this, I'm like, how much of this is just birth imprints? Probably, like, all of it. (laughs) It's wild when you really do connect the dots that way. Mm -hmm. So that was, like, a really long answer to, what do I do at preconception? (laughs) No, but it was perfect. And I think it really gave so much insight into just... I don't know, the perfect cherry on top for this episode. Just thinking of all the things that you really could be holding in your body, mm-hmm. ultimately. Mm-hmm. Whether you've experienced, whether you are vicariously experiencing it because someone before you experienced it. Like, genuinely, that's kind of a crazy thought, but I'm also like, yes. Mm-hmm. Like, when I think of that, I'm like, totally. Yeah. You know? So at any stage of pregnancy, we can work with what's yeah. stored in the body, what's your nervous system doing, and how how do you want to be, right? Mm-hmm. That's really the going back to that resolution piece is let's not focus so much on, yes, because we're doing work together, focus on what's happening in your body, but how do you want to show up? How do mm-hmm. you want your birth to be? How do you want your postpartum time to be? Like, let's... And then let's figure out what's really stopping you subconsciously and somatically, maybe consciously, so that you can move towards those spaces and those places. Because, I mean, when you can have postpartum bonding time with your baby that isn't interrupted with trauma or stress or work, to me, that's what's going to change this world. Absolutely. Is that bonding time with your baby in the postpartum. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. 
I hope you walk away from this episode not only being a little more educated about somatics and about trauma resolution, but also having your eyes opened to this beautiful work that Leisha is out here doing. I think this is such a beneficial thing for every person, not only pregnant or postpartum, but every person to know about and hear about and to really take the time to reflect today, to tune in a little bit more to your body and to start to recognize how you're responding, how you're taking in the world around you, and in turn, hopefully be more regulated. If you're interested in her work, follow Leisha along on Instagram at Leisha underscore Nelson. And as always, check me out on Instagram as well at undereducated.pod and catch us here next week for another episode. Mm-hmm.